0: Good morning, beloved family. How are you? I
1: pray that you are well. Um, We've had a glorious week um, of the um, exaltation of the Holy Cross and the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. Uh, Today, the Feast of St. Januarius, who was beheaded, and his companions. Uh, Such a rich, rich faith we have. You might have read, um, over the weekend perhaps, that the Holy Father in Pakistan in exaltation of the Holy Cross never once mentioned our Lord. I think he prayed a Muslim prayer, never once mentioned our Lord. Um, and uh, not only that, he is um, simply, um, um, I think, out to... it's it's simply clearly what he's doing. He announced, he said that uh, communion, Holy Communion is all you need to receive Holy Communion is faith. Well, the devil's belief and they cannot receive. And in other words, Joe Biden, uh, Nancy Pelosi, public political sinners who deny the teaching of the Catholic Church can receive Holy Communion, You may know that uh, Cardinal uh, Wilton Gregory ordered his priests to not refuse communion to the like of President Biden. And um, one report said his priests are in a laundry because when they became priests, they swore obedience to him. Well, there's no... ...said, follow me as I... follow them into sin, no cardinal, no bishop, no priest, no one, no parent has a right to order anyone to obey sin. Absolutely not. So the priests of Washington, D.C. have no quandary at all. You obey Christ. You obey the church. And you do not give holy communion to manifest public sinners who claim to be Catholic, because they are not. Uh, they may be baptized Catholic, but they have denied by their life, their words, their actions, the Catholic faith. And so uh, I think headed by Bishop Athanasius Snyder and other bishops, uh, Bishop Joseph Strickland here in Tyler, um, many other bishops, many other prelates, many priests, lay people have signed a document against Pope um, uh, Francis's statements because they're heretical, simply heretical, um, and they've put together a paper on the teaching of the Catholic faith on the reception of holy, of the holy Eucharist. I'm going to read this um, because there are Catholics who yet do not understand why others, uh, their Protestant friends, for example, cannot receive holy communion. The fact is, the Church is. Uh, the body of Christ and our prelates are shepherds and we don't lead the sheep into error to lead someone who is not Catholic in faith and practice to receive Holy Communion is to lead them into grave sin and a lie because it's not communion they are not in communion with the church and so in this paper uh, the recent apostolic letter Desiderio Desideravi, given on June 29th of this year, the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, says this from the Pope, the world still does not know it, but everyone is invited to the Supper of the Wedding of the Lamb, that's Revelation 19.9, to be admitted to the feast, all that is required is the wedding garment of faith which comes from the hearing of his word, Romans ten seventeen. That's straight out of Protestantism. Um, the natural meaning of these words is that on, the only requirement for a Catholic to worthily receive the Holy Eucharist is possession of the virtue of faith, by which one believes Christ, Christian teaching on the grounds of its being divinely revealed. Moreover, in the apostolic letter as a whole, there is silence on this essential topic of repentance for sin, for the worthy reception of the Eucharist. And every Protestant knows um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where the Apostle Paul says, if you eat and drink unworthily, you eat and drink condemnation to yourself. (coughs) This natural meaning contradicts the faith of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church has always taught that in order to receive the Holy Eucharist worthily and without sin, Catholics must receive sacramental absolution, if possible, for any mortal sins. They may have committed and obey all other laws of the Church concerning reception of the Eucharist as, for example, the laws concerning fasting prior to reception of the Eucharist. Beloved, I see people come into church, uh, not with medicine, but with candy in their mouth, um, throat candy or chewing gum. Uh, That is, you're receiving the Eucharist unworthily. If you have anything in your mouth other than medicine you must take, you have not kept the hour fast. Where did I leave off here? Um, Hold on a moment. I lost my place. However, if a Catholic is unable to confess mortal sins, but has a grave reason for receiving the Eucharist, such as a priest who may be required to celebrate Mass at a given time, but who is unable to go to confession, such a person must be confident to the best of his ability that he have perfect contrition for any mortal sins, than he may that he may have committed the claim that faith is the only requirement for worthy reception of the holy Eucharist was condemned by the Council of Trent as a heresy, which means our Holy Father beloved is teaching heresy. This is not the first time. The Holy and Ecumenical Council of Trent decreed concerning uh, excuse me concerning the most holy sacrament of the Eucharist. In chapter 7, the preparation that must be employed to receive the Holy Eucharist worthily. And the faith hasn't changed, beloved. The faith has not changed. If you want to know the full measure of faith, our current catechism is okay. It's just okay. But if you wish to know the full teaching of the church, you need to get the Catechism of Trent. And if you get even more than better than that, the catechism explained by Reverend um, Spirago, that is the full catechism of Trent, but with commentary, with teaching, with explanation, and it's outstanding. Chapter 7 of the Council of Trent, on the preparation that must be employed to receive the Holy Eucharist worthily, says, "If if it is not becoming... For anyone to approach any of the sacred functions except solemnly, certainly the more the holiness and the divinity of this heavenly sacrament is understood by a Christian, the more diligently ought he to take heed, lest he approach to receive it without great reverence and holiness. Especially when we read in the Apostle, those words full of terror which says first corinthians eleven twenty eight, he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh judgment to himself not discerning the body of the lord therefore the precept let a man prove himself must be recalled to mind by him who wishes to communicate Now Ecclesiastical Usage declares that this examination is necessary, that no one conscious of mortal sin, however contrite he may seem um, to himself, should approach the Holy Eucharist without a previous sacramental confession. This, the Holy Synod has decreed, is always to be observed by all Christians, even by those priests on whom their office it may be incumbent to celebrate, provided the recourses of a confessor be not lacking to them. But if in an urgent necessity a priest should celebrate without previous confession, let him confess as soon as possible. Canon 11 says, If anyone says that faith alone is sufficient preparation for receiving the sacrament of the Most Holy Eucharist, let him be anathema. Beloved, this has not changed. The Holy Father has put a curse on himself, anathema, to say that all is needed is faith. This claim also contradicts canons nine, fifteen and sixteen, um seven, eleven, and twelve, and so forth. In the Latin Code of Canon Law, Canon nine fifteen says Those who have been excommunicated or interdicted after the imposition or declaration of the penalty and others obstinately persevering in manifest grave sin are not to be admitted to Holy Communion. That includes uh, Nancy Pelosi, uh, so called President Joe Biden, and any other public Catholic politician or public person. There are many who claim to be Catholic and who um, deny Catholic teaching by their lives, by their words and their deeds. There's the music, dear ones, for our uh, first break. We'll come back after the second break and take your calls, your emails, your texts. Call in any time and with anything on your heart, toll free, 1-877-511-5483.
2: You can listen to any of our network produced programs at your convenience, wherever you enjoy podcasts, hear a powerful sermon you need to share with a loved one. Maybe there's a guest or teaching segment that deserves another listen. You can find all of our shows on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, our website and the free iCatholic Radio app. Be uplifted in your faith. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on your favorite podcasting platform. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Morning Show. We're happy to be with you on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network each weekday morning at 7 a.m. We strive to keep you informed and inspired with insightful guests and a look at the breaking news of the day. Join us on the Catholic Drive Time Show every weekday morning at 7 a.m. across the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio app. That's every weekday morning at 7 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there. God love you Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. The Church's service to humanity embraces
0: life at every stage and in every circumstance. One may never use our duty to life at one stage to justify destroying it at another. Some are willing to expand child killing to help adults get health care. But if we tolerate the killing of children, we undercut every rationale to provide health care to both children and adults. This is Father Frank
2: Pavone,
3: National Director of Priests for Life.
1: Um, We are live. I'm thrilled to be with you. And we're uh, reading through a very, very serious matter. Um, I mentioned earlier today that um, at Kakistan, the Holy Father in celebrating the exaltation of the Holy Cross really didn't celebrate that. He uh, mentioned a Muslim prayer, but never even mentioned our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, And he has stated that all one is... All that is needed to receive Holy Communion is faith. That is heresy, um, and it's extremely grave, um, because as I say, the devils believe, and they tremble, but they are not saved, and they cannot receive Holy Communion. It is a lie to say you're in communion with the Church when you don't believe her teachings. If you are a priest, or a cardinal, or a bishop, and you... um, have supported uh, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, any Catholic politician, you've given them communion. um, When they are not in communion with the Church, if you give anyone else, Lutherans, the wives of Catholics who are not Catholic, you give anyone who's not Catholic communion, you have committed grave sin, and you could care less for their souls because you have given them what is supposed to be communion, which will be a lie when they're not in communion with the church. If they truly believe it, they would be Catholic. And so we read Canon 9.15. 9.16 says, A person who is conscious of grave sin is not to celebrate Mass or receive the body of the Lord without previous, previous sacramental confession, unless there is a grave reason and there is no opportunity to confess. In this case, the person is to remember the obligation to make an act of per, perfect contrition, which includes the resolution of confessing as soon as possible. Canon 711 says a person who is conscious of serious sin is not to celebrate the divine liturgy, nor... As the Oriental Code, the Eastern Church's canon law, um, nor receive the Divine Eucharist. Unless a serious reason is present and there is no opportunity of receiving the sacrament of penance, in this case, the person should make an act of perfect contrition, including the intention of confessing as soon as possible. Canon 712 in the Oriental Code of canon law, those who are publicly unworthy are forbidden from receiving the Divine Eucharist. Beloved, if you are remarried so to speak and your first marriage has not been annulled that is you have not been granted a degree of nullity from the church if you're if you you call yourself catholic and you have divorced or and or remarried in the Catholic Church and you have not received from the Church a degree of nullity saying that your first marriage was null and void, meaning that it never truly took place in God's eyes, you are living in adultery and you must not receive the Holy Eucharist. And if you have, you must go to confession and not receive again until that degree of nullity is in. And if you are living in a new marriage, you must live as brother and sister. Otherwise, you are living in mortal sin. And if you die in your sleep or in any other way, you will be in hell for eternity. You cannot call yourself a Catholic. Faith, our salvation, is free. It's not cheap. It costs the life of our Savior. And unless... We repent and live what he has told us to live. There is no salvation for us. The article goes on to say, the purpose of these canons is to prevent grave sin on the part of the person unworthily receiving the Eucharist, to prevent scandal, to prevent the desecration of the sacrament by such unworthy reception. We want to prevent, beloved, the... um, a condemnation of whoever would receive the Holy Eucharist unworthily because they will spend eternity in hell without repenting. But more important, I'm going to tell you, is the reverence due to the Holy Sacrament who is Christ himself. All these canons are still in force. They cannot be validly repealed because their content expresses the divine law, <clears throat> not man's law, the divine law concerning the Eucharist that is taught in the Holy Scriptures and sacred tradition. This has been pointed out in the Declaration of June 24, 2000, by the Pontifical Council for Legislative Texts, concerning the admission to Holy Communion of faithful who are divorced and remarried. Quote, the code of canon law establishes that those upon whom the penalty of excommunication or interdict has been imposed or declared and others who obstinately persist in manifest grave sin are not to be admitted to Holy Communion. The prohibition found in the cited canon by its nature is derived from divine law and transcends the domain of positive positive ecclesiastical laws. The latter cannot introduce legislative changes which would oppose the doctrine of the church. The scriptural text on which the ecclesial tradition has always relied is that of St. Paul. Quote, this means that whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily sins against the body and blood of the Lord. See, beloved, they're not sinning against a piece of bread and a plastic cup of wine. They're sitting against the body and blood of the Lord. A man should examine himself, St. Paul goes on. First, only then, he should examine himself first, only then should he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He who eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Pope Francis has indicated by his words and actions that he holds the view expressed by the natural meaning of the words um, of uh, Desiderio, Desideravi, cited above. In his Angelus for the Feast of Corpus Domini on June 6th, Pope Francis said, quote, there is another strength that stands out in the fragility of the Eucharist, the strength to love those who make mistakes. It is on the night he is betrayed that Jesus gives us the bread of life. He gives us the greatest gift while he feels the deepest abyss in his heart. The disciple who eats with him, who dips the morsel in the same place, is betraying him. And betrayal is the worst suffering for the one who loves. And what does Jesus do? He reacts to the evil with a greater good. He responds to Judas Jude, He responds to Judas's "No" with the yes of mercy. He does not punish the sinner, but rather gives his life for him. He pays for him. When we receive the Eucharist, Jesus does the same with us. He knows us. He knows we are sinners, and he knows we make many mistakes but he does not give up on joining his life to ours. He knows that we need it because the Eucharist is not the reward of saints. No, it is the bread of sinners. It is why he exhorts us, do not be afraid, take and eat. End quote from Pope Francis. The statement that the Eucharist is not the reward of saints, but the bread of sinners might be understood in an orthodox sense if taken in isolation However, placed in the context of the reception of the Holy Eucharist by Judas referred to in the Angelus Address and in the context of Pope Francis's other words and actions, it suggests that renunciation of sin is not necessary for one's reception of the Eucharist to be acceptable to God. This view is borne out in the following statement, also from the same document by Pope Francis, quote, indeed, every reception of communion of the body and blood of Christ was already desired by him in the Last Supper, end quote. The teaching of the Council of Trent cited above condemns the position of Martin Luther on faith and justification. Pope Francis has publicly expressed his agreement with the condemned positions of Luther, in an in-flight press conference, in flight rather, press conference on June 26, Pope Francis said, quote, "I think that Martin Luther's intentions were not mistaken. He was a reformer. Perhaps some of his methods were not right, although at the time, if you read Pastor's history for example, Pastor was a German Lutheran. Pastor was a German, a German Lutheran." who experienced a conversion. When he studied the facts of that period, he became a Catholic. We see that the church was not exactly a model to emulate. There was corruption and worldliness in the church. There was attachment to money and power. That was the basis of his protest. He was also intelligent, and he went ahead justifying his reasons for it. Nowadays, Lutherans and Catholics and all Protestants are in agreement on the doctrine of justification. On this very important point, he was not mistaken. Um, Pope Francis is mistaken. Lutherans, Catholics, and Protestants are not in agreement on the doctrine of justification. Justification, and the the uh, document from Bishop Athanasius Snyder and many others correcting the Holy Father on his recent statement that all you need is faith. They continue by saying, on the day that Desiderio Desideravi was issued, I'm sorry for my uh, poor pronunciation, it's Latin meaning I long for. On the day that that was issued, Pope Francis received in audience Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. Nancy Pelosi has been publicly forbidden to receive communion under Canon 915 by her ordinary Archbishop Salvatore cordeleoni The grounds for this measure were her consistent political support for the complete legislation of abortion up to birth. After the audience with Pope Francis, Nancy Pelosi received communion at a mass in St. Peter's, over which Pope Francis presided, causing scandal to Catholics all over the world. When asked about her illegal reception of communion, Pope Francis expressed no disapproval of it. Instead, he responded by saying, when the church loses its pastoral nature... When a bishop loses his pastoral nature, it causes a political problem. That's all I can say, end quote from Pope Francis. This response rebukes Archbishop Cordelioni for his justified application of Canon 9.15. This is, um, what do I say, beloved? This is truly... um, heartbreaking and um, heretical on the part of our Holy Father. Um, We're going to end right there dear ones. We may pick this up tomorrow. It's very serious. You can go to LifeSite News and get the article. But we are going to go to your calls and emails now, beloved, with anything at all on your heart. Toll free 1-877-511- 5483 or email at mother@ at the station of com. we'll be right back
3: This is Franciscan media's Saint of the Day for September 19th. Today we celebrate Saint Januarius. Little is known for certain about Januarius, but one story persists. Popular for centuries, it is the belief that the saint's blood, carefully kept in a container in the Naples Cathedral, liquefies on three specific dates every year, including this date. Januarius served as the Bishop of Benevento, Italy, during the persecution of the Christians ordered by the Emperor Diocletian. In his capacity as bishop, he went to visit several Christian prisoners, was himself arrested, and was ultimately thrown to the wild beasts in the amphitheater. After the animals failed to attack him, he was beheaded around the year 305. The phenomenon of Januarius' blood liquefying is best seen as an alleged miracle rather than a confirmed one, but it certainly has been thoroughly investigated, and there is no question that what is claimed to happen has indeed happened time and time again, usually without fail. The phenomenon eludes natural explanation, but it is the reason Januarius is considered the patron of blood banks, the city of Naples, as well as the Neapolitan diaspora. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. There was no single event. It was more gradual. You know, eventually you just don't
2: go one Sunday and then you don't go two Sundays in a row. Then went through a divorce and um, ended up being a single parent. If I didn't have church or God, I, I, I would be back at that lonely stage, that trouble stage. Whenever you get anxious and worry about things, you just know that Jesus has it under control.
3: If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org.
1: and I am delighted to take your calls and your texts and your emails, um, toll-free 1-877-511-5483 or email at Mother at the, the com. You can text at that phone number as well. We're going to take an email from Michael) um, uh, hold on just a moment. Um, I've got others here. Um, I've got a hold off on your email, Michael, uh, which um, concerns St. Catherine Emmerich, and I would have to look that up and read it first. Um, all right, we have a text from uh, someone who writes it anonymously and says Dear mother, I have a question that no one, even priests, has had an answer to. If someone has fertilized eggs from IVF, Uh, in vitro fertilization and the man now realizes that it was gravely wrong to do so and he signed off that the eggs could not be used um in this case the woman's father's health insurance is covering the cost and she wants the eggs destroyed what should the man do he has gone to confession I know this is very difficult we need direction thank you so much and I love you um Let me just see uh, what we can do here. Hold on just a moment. Um, You cannot destroy a fertilized egg. There's an article on, um, hold on now, um, on catholic.com that I'm going to read because many people are asking this question and it's extremely, extremely uh, urgent, vital, and important. Um, The article at Catholic Answers, let me just see for a moment, um, uh, says this. In all the news coverage on embryonic stem cell research, little has been said regarding an equally and perhaps more grave moral matter. If it is wrong to use human embryos for experimental research, then what is to be done with those often unwanted frozen children? The Catholic Church teaches that life begins at conception. The embryo is therefore a person, and there are thousands of them in fertilization clinics all over the world. Can their lives be saved when we know that the only way to do so is by implanting them in a woman's womb and act condemned as immoral by the Catholic Church? The quandary began in England, um, let me not see if I can get past the history of this. Um, In the church's position, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, having been approached for moral clarity concerning the latest biomedical technology and its intervention um, in the initial stages of human life, issued the instruction on respect for human life in its origin and on the dignity of procreation. The title of that is Domen Vitae, Donum Vitae. We need to read this document, beloved. It is arguably the Catholic Church's controlling statement on the dignity and respect due to the human embryo. Donum Vitae uh, reaffirms the sacredness of human life from the moment of conception, meaning that the human embryo must be respected and treated as a person recognized to have above all the right to life. In addition, it must be defended in its integrity and tended and cared for to the extent possible in the same way as any other human being. In light of this teaching, it can be morally permissible um, No, no, this is a question, excuse me. In light of this teaching, can it be morally permissible to freeze or keep frozen a human being, even with the purpose of preserving his life? The CDF, Congregation of the Doctrine of Faith's answer is negative. Freezing of embryos, called um, creopreservation, constitutes an offense against the respect due to human beings by exposing them to grave risks of death or harm to their physical integrity and depriving them at least temporarily of maternal shelter and gestation thus placing them in a situation in which further offences and manipulation are possible equally clear though tragic is the statement that in consequence of the fact that they have been produced in vitro those embryos that are not transferred into the body of the mother and are called spare are exposed to an absurd fate with no possibility of their being offered safe means of survival which can be licitly pursued. In other words, none of the options available for saving the life of these embryos can be said to be morally permissible and in conformity with the plan of God for human procreation. One might think that the issue would end there, but it has not. Because the matter is so pressing, moral theologians are debating what has been termed the rescue of frozen embryos. The magisterium has not issued a specific judgment on this. And there is a division of opinion among theologians who firmly assent to the teaching of Donum Vitae, Some argue that rescuing frozen embryos is intrinsically immoral. Others argue it is not. Though members of the latter group give different arguments to support their position, they all hold that it is morally licit for a woman to volunteer to have an embryo transferred into her womb in order to protect its life. In expressing the fear that rescuing frozen embryos by adopting them prenatally, could lead to bad consequences. Bishop Elio um, Grecia, vice president of the Pontifical Academy for Life, said, the idea of a systematic organization of prenatal adoption of frozen embryos would, in fact, end up by legitimizing the practice, which is substantially at the root of the whole problem. He stated in a recent address titled, The Embryo, a Sign of Contradiction, that in order to investigate this subject, the Academy for Life has set up a multidisciplinary task force force, which will study all the aspects of the whole question and then publish a work on the subject. In the interim, in the meantime, the debate over prenatal adoption continues. We will summarize the arguments below, keeping in mind that all theologians mentioned who are parties to the dispute accept, A-C-C-E-P-T, accept the Church's teaching on the subject. Right from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, quote, techniques which entail the dissociation of husband and wife by the intrusion of a person other than the couple are gravely immoral. These techniques infringe the child's right to be born of a father and mother known to him and bound to each other by marriage. Now, it's, it's a lengthy article, and it goes on to state the debate among theologians, and I'm going to try to skip all that. You can cer- certainly go to Catholic.com, the debate and the concerns. Let me see. Okay. Let me just conclude with the concerns. With regard to intrinsically evil acts, Pope John Paul II's encyclical Veritatis Splendor quotes Pope Paul VI as teaching that though it is true that sometimes it is lawful to tolerate a lesser moral evil in order to avoid a greater evil or in order to promote a greater good, it is never lawful, even for the gravest reasons, to do evil, that good may come of it. In other words, to intend directly something which of its very nature contradicts the moral order and which must therefore be judged unworthy of man, even though the intention is to protect or promote the welfare of an individual, of a family, or of society in general. Although God can bring good from evil, recognizing this is quite distinct from doing evil in order to bring about good. Let us ask then, is embryo transfer from the freezer of a fertilization clinic to the womb of any woman, mother or not, a morally permissible act in accordance with the Church's teaching based on divine law regarding procreation? As Donum Vitae reminds us, transmission of human life is entrusted by nature to a personal and conscious act, as such is subject to the all-holy laws of God, immutable and inviolable laws which must be recognized and observed, and that what is technically possible is not for that very reason morally permissible. Monsignor Smith's position, which is, he's one of the greatest moral theologians that have ever lived, Monsignor Smith's Seems to, his position seems to hold that the rescuing of a frozen embryo cannot be morally licit because it is not procreation of the kind that respects both the bond uniting the procreative and the unitive elements of the conjugal act and the unity and dignity of the human person. All agree that procreation should take place this way, but not all believe that a woman who wishes simply to rescue a child already in existence is violating this dictum. For these people, placing a human embryo that was procreated outside the mother's body into another woman's womb is sometimes wrong and sometimes right, depending on why it is done. Here one can see how difficult it can be to identify accurately the object of a human act. The intention or end may be good, But is the object, that which we freely choose to do good, is it in the plan of God for us? Pope John Paul II has appealed for an end to the production of human embryos in vitro. Meanwhile, there are equally pressing moral issues resulting from the advances in biotechnology that must be addressed by the magisterium. It could be a significant number of years before we receive more precise guidance on this particular issue, and many innocent babies will die. Already there are numerous legal disputes before the courts, wherein people are fighting over frozen children. We see that science is not always at the service of man. In the end, it will be the church's magisterium as the only authentic an authoritative authoritative interpreter of the word of God in matters of faith and morals that will decide what is to be done regarding this grave moral issue. It is important to keep in mind that persons on both sides of this debate are pro-life and that the answer will come ultimately from God. Our Holy Father, that is John Paul II at the time this was written. Our Holy Father reminds us that man's life comes from God. It is his gift, his image, and imprint, a sharing in his breath of life. God, therefore, is the sole Lord of this life. Man cannot do with it as he wills. Human life and death are thus, in the hands of God, in his power. He alone can say, it is I who bring both death and life. We must recognize the right of God alone to give life and to take it. It has been one of humanity's great tragedies that many innocent ones have to die before we are able to see that truth. So, um, Anonymous, that you've written in um, that um, uh, your husband, let's see now, that no priest has been able to answer, fertilize eggs from IVS, and the man now realizes that it's wrong. Um, what should he do? He cannot destroy them. No. Um, he want, The woman's father's health insurance is covering the cost, and she wants the eggs destroyed. What should the man do? Go to Catholic.com, read what I've just read, and if you destroy the eggs you are committing murder you may not kill a human being and those embryos are human beings you may not commit murder and i don't know how many eggs there are but that's how many people you will be murdering the answer is absolutely not we'll be right back after the break hello beloved this is mother miriam many of you are familiar with mother miriam live But I wonder if you have listened to some of the other programs from the Station of the Cross, such as the Catholic Current. Father Robert McTague discusses important topics in the church and in the world each weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can listen anytime to the Catholic Current as a podcast on the iCatholic Radio mobile app.
3: Love listening to the Station of the Cross on your car radio, but sometimes find yourself driving outside the listening area? Never miss another minute of your favorite show. Download the iCatholic Radio app so you can listen anywhere in the world 24 hours a day. The iCatholic Radio app is available for your phone in the Apple Store or for your Android phone in Google Play. Visit thestationofthecross.com for more information. This
2: is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard the expression free love? Do you know what it means? It means false love. True love does not want to be free. It wants to bind itself. It wants to give everything and forever. It wants to make a vow, a promise that it will keep G.K. Chesterton says the man who makes a vow makes an appointment with himself at some distant time or place. The question is, will he keep the vow? That's the adventure. The perils and the punishment must be real. If I bet, I must be made to pay. Or there's no poetry in betting. If I challenge, I must be made to fight. Or there's no poetry in challenging. And if I vow to be faithful, I must be cursed when I'm unfaithful there's no fun in vowing. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org.
1: Um, this is our last segment, and we have ten minutes. And you are welcome to call in yet and still with anything on your heart, beloved. One eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at cross dot com. We have an email from Teresa who says, "Good morning, Mother. I truly believe that we should receive Holy Communion kneeling and on the tongue, and only from a priest. I believe the same, Teresa." I have heard you say the same thing, and in doing so, you have reinforced my beliefs. Can you please explain why this is so important? I need a firm answer to those who question this practice. For for instance, some ask, what if the only option is a deacon? Will you receive um, Holy Communion from a deacon? What if Mass is once again restricted, and the only options are Communion on the hand or no communion at all. In that case, would you then concede and receive on the hand, or would you refuse and make a spiritual communion? I eagerly await your response. Thank you, Mother. Teresa, um, why is it so important to receive Holy Communion kneeling and on the tongue and only from a priest? We are going before God. We are going, read the entire Old Testament, Any time God appeared, it was a pre-incarnate Christ, a theophany, that God appeared in any way, there wasn't anyone who didn't fall on their face before him. It is God, the risen, glorified Christ that we receive at Holy Communion. We need to fall on our face we need to kneel at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a quote from the Old Testament that the Apostle Paul has repeated in Philippians. Um, We bow before God. We don't just stand casually. We bow before God. And if we don't kneel, which we should, the minimum is a profound bow. That's the minimum. The church requires it. A profound bow is not a little bow of the head. It's a 90 degree, a 90 degree bow, a full bow before the Holy Eucharist. Not before the person ahead of you, but before the Holy Eucharist when you get there. Priests don't want that because you're holding up the line. They want efficiency. No. God deserves more. When we are before him, we need to bow or kneel. As far as communion on the tongue is concerned, that is the norm of the church. It is communion in the hand that is the exception which the church has allowed for exceptions. It's not the norm. The norm is communion on the tongue because it's not fast food. We don't take it in our own hands and put it in our mouth like we do a french fry. No, no. Only the hands, and why from a priest because only the hands, the sacred, consecrated hands of a priest should ever touch God, the Holy Host. No one but the consecrated hands of a priest should touch the Eucharist. He alone should put that host on our tongues. Um, There's a wonderful book written by Bishop Athanasius Snyder, uh, titled, I believe, Communion on the Hand, and he gives every reason for not receiving communion on the hand. So to your questions, Teresa, what if the only option is a deacon? I will not receive the Holy Eucharist. Will you receive Holy Communion from a deacon? No. Well, you know, there might be a day that we we might, there might be a day that we might, I don't know, But um, what if Mass is once again restricted and the only options are communion on the hand or no communion at all? I won't receive it. It's not fast food. We don't put it on our hands. It has been shown scientifically it's much safer uh, for germs and everything else if a priest puts the Holy Communion on our tongues. He doesn't have to touch our tongues. He needs to learn how to do it properly. But on the hands... Um, our hands are have germs on them. Even if we sanitize, even I, I hate seeing a priest sanitize his hands before he distributes holy communion. He's just celebrated mass. He's just had God in his hands. Why should he sanitize them? It, it's it's awful. So um, I would not receive on the hand. No, Teresa. Um, uh, we, we must remain uh, respectful of the Holy Eucharist and the way he's treated the way he was treated during COVID put in plastic bags uh, it, horror stories utter horror stories bishops and priests have lost their faith to do such things um we have an email from someone who writes and in enter into it. For example, religious life. What is the balance between doing what one can do without getting too anxious or worried that things aren't going well, and trusting that we haven't lost a vocation and that God is still in control? Thank you, anonymous. It is wrong to be attached to one's vocation because we, we should be attached only to God. If we're attached to the great desire for our vocation, even if we believe we've been called, that could um, overshadow, it could cloud our hearts and minds um, to be open to God's will. He may have that religious vocation for you, but um, in my case... Um, it was the incredible desire of my heart. I dismissed it several times, but 15 years before God did this with me, after I entered the Catholic Church. So his ways are perfect. And if he's put that desire on your heart, trust it, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, Proverbs 3. He will direct your paths, so if he's filled your heart with a desire, you go for it, but know that many desires God gives us is indeed, they are for what he has for us in the future, but we're not ready for them yet. A five-year-old, a ten-year-old wants to be a fireman, and maybe God wants him to be a fireman, but there's a lot of growth and maturity and study and formation that needs to take place. So you can You can trust the desires of your heart, um, and you can trust they are from God, but you don't know how or when he's going to work them out. So trust God more than what you believe is your vocation. Go for it. Don't live in doubt. Go for it. But people have even asked me, many women that come in, how do you know you're called? And my answer is, I can't answer that. I can't tell you that I'm called. I never knew I was called. I only followed God and the desires of my heart which could not be quenched and are stronger today than ever. So I would follow the desires of my heart. I would be open to what God does. um, And I know what he's done in me. I know what I won't turn from. But what he wants with it is his business. I'm the most shocked person in the world that it turns out to be religious life. I never thought I was the type. Um, but I'm I'm a happy camper, and God knows. So it's taken a number of years for me to be religious. It's taken a number of years against many trials for Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's hope to even get off the ground. But that's God's business, not mine. I need to be faithful, as Mother Teresa said. God does not look at success, but on faithfulness. So. There's no balance between doing what one can do without getting too anxious or worried that things are going well. You put your life in God's hands, in our mother's hands, and let them lead you. Don't be confident what they're doing. You don't know that. Read on Religious Life, visit different orders, grow in virtue, grow in holiness, and let God do what he wills. There's the end of our program, beloved. We will be with you tomorrow, God willing. God bless you.